I mentioned Wednesday, it would be great if you could sit down and read Jonah's chapters, only four of them from beginning to end. I hope you're able to do that. I did. It was, it's a great story. It's, been, it's played a phenomenal role in the life of our family. And we're going to look at six verses today. Jonah chapter 3, the first five verses, and then skipping ahead to verse 10. So let's hear the Word of God. And Jonah, if you have your Bible, I invite you to uh, even turn there with us now or pull it up on your app on your phone. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, yes, to fickle Jonah a second time. Very simply, God says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. This is an important word. This time Jonah obeyed. The word of the Lord, and he went to Jonah, although reluctantly. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Some translations say to walk through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, to the heart of the city, proclaiming a very simple, maybe the shortest sermon ever, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all he said. The next line is magnificent. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed. And all of them in Nineveh, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, God relented changed his mind and did not bring on them the destruction that was threatened. My friends, the reading of God's Word. Thanks be to God. Well, at the risk of sounding somewhat flippant, but I think it still works. Has anybody heard any good jokes lately? Anybody heard any good jokes lately? It's really not a time to be sharing a lot of jokes. But well, maybe it's precisely the time to share a lot of jokes. I, I can remember as a boy, uh, the Wilson family, we had a station wagon, and my dad was always the one before we had our driver's license to pick up me and my brother. We were on the same varsity hockey team together at the time. And other guys on the team that didn't have a car or couldn't have, didn't have a ride, we'd pick up two or three guys, throw, throw all of our equipment and our sticks in the back of our station wagon, and we'd, we'd head to the ice rink. More often than not, it was an away game, so we had some time to kill. My dad was the unpaid Uber driver. I'll never forget some of those journeys because my dad loved to laugh. It's probably that and dinner time when I saw my dad belly laugh like I've never seen him belly laugh before, and it was quite a juxtaposition from other times in our family life. But boy, did it leave a lasting impression in my mind. I'll never forget one time a guy named Derek got into a routine of riding with us. Derek, well, I better not say his name on, on uh, camera. I'll just call him Derek. That's his real name. Uh, but I won't give you his last name. Derek showed up in, in the car with a joke book one day. And it was a, a joke book filled with just silly jokes. My dad loved jokes, but the sillier the better. They were funny to him. You know, things like, why did the elephant wear his pink tennis shoes? Yes, sir, because his, 
His blue ones were in the wash. Thank you very much. That was 45 minutes to probably Wilmette or Winnetka or New Trier to play our hockey game. Those were good times. Those were really good times. It wasn't just hockey, it was baseball, it was all sports. That was my dad. Well, what does it have to do with the book of Jonah? A lot, actually. Because Jonah is a difficult book to classify. Is it history? Is it fable? Is it satire? Is it irony? Is it just a humorous story? My guess is perhaps it's a little bit of all those things tied into one. The New York Times reported a few years ago a story that I think is kind of funny, and the title of the article is, Seriously, the joke is dead. Here's what the article read. It was more like an obituary on the joke. In case you missed its obituary, the joke died recently after a long illness. Oh, of, say, 30 years. Its passing was barely noticed, drowned out, perhaps, by the dim or ironic one-liners, snark, sarcasm, and bon mots that pass for humor these days. I had to look up bon mots, and it's a, just a witty one-liner. Yes, the joke died a lonely death. There was no next of kin to notify the comedy skit, the hand buzzer of Bob Newhart's imaginary telephone monologues, having passed on long before the joke died. Well, I'm not sure how to classify Jonah myself either. Could be a joke, could be humorous, could be satire, could be historical. It could be a story used by God to make a point. My guess is it's all those things. What's interesting about the book of Jonah is that it's less about prophetic words spoken and more about prophetic adventures, the adventures of the prophet named Jonah, whose name ironically, maybe the jokes on Jonah, means God saves. Well, let's take a look at some of the key players in our, in our story this morning. You may, may suggest these are key players in in God's joke. First, there's the Ninevites. That just kind of rolls off the tongue. Ninevites. They were the most despised nation of Israel's time. Israel despised Nineveh and Assyria. Nineveh was the most outside of outsiders. We know about the city because I just read it, that it was a large city, about a three-day walk which means it was about 60 miles wide. You could walk about 20 miles a day. And God calls Jonah to this city, and Jonah's like, oh, man, snap. I don't want to go there. I don't like those guys. If anything, I'd like to see them gone. How do we make that happen, God? You see, the Ninevites were Gentiles of Gentiles. They were just basically pretty wicked, generally all around. 
recognizing that my audience this morning is PG, uh, they were an NC-17 city. The prophet goes the second time to Nineveh, speaks the shortest sermon of all time, without mentioning God's name, without mentioning turn, without mentioning grace, without mentioning mercy, without mentioning forgiveness. And yet after that one-line sermon and the second call of God to Jonah to go, the people, the text says, the people, the government officials, everyone in the city, and we find out later in the book of Jonah that the environment and even the cattle all repented and believed. Now, I'm not sure what to do with the environment and even the cattle. But they all changed their minds and they worshiped God. Now that's a pretty cool story. But wait! Jonah! The not-so-man prophetic insider. The most reluctant of all prophets. He just doesn't want the job. Not even close. He plays very well the role of an unfaithful insider. He runs from God early on in the book, before our text, doesn't want to go, jumps on a ship headed for Tarshish, say that ten times really fast, a storm brews, the sailors get scared, they don't know what's happening, they pray, they think their stowaway Jonah is the reason for the problem. Jonah comes along and says, hey man, I blew it. You better get rid of me. I'm your excess baggage. If you throw me into the water, your problems will be okay. Can you imagine the inner conflict those sailors must have had? They did it anyway. Immediately the storm subsides, and the text says that the sailors <laughs> believed. He's thrown over because to Jonah dying is better than actually going to Nineveh. When Jonah actually gets to the city, he preaches that famous sermon. Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overturned. And everyone turns. Now you would think Jonah would say, all right, job well done. I'm going to Disneyland. I just won the Super Bowl. I'm going to vacation. He doesn't. He's still upset. He sulks away. In fact, he still tells God, hey God, I knew you were going to do that. Why'd you send me in the first place? Really? Why'd you send me? So he goes and he sulks away and he sits under a tree that God causes to grow to shade Jonah from the discomfort of the noonday heat. And then the next morning sends worms to dry up <laughs> that tree to teach Jonah a lesson. And Jonah ends the book still sulking under an unpredictable plant. <sighs> Jonah's not a great hero, even though he was saved by a giant fish. Well, now let's turn to God, another one of our key players in this storyline, maybe comedy. God's call in Jonah's life in this whole narrative and story 
is simple. Go. Jonah, go to Nineveh. God's call is persistent. God called Jonah a second time. Go. Simply go a second time. That one line sermon is preached. And certain texts actually say, after the people turned to God and put on sackcloth and ashes and believed, God changed God's mind about what God wanted to do with and to the people of the city of Nineveh. God changes God's mind. Even when you read the beginning of the story when it says judgment is the inevitable outcome for those people, those outsiders. Perhaps part of the irony of this story is that not even God knew how deep God's mercy, love, and compassion would go. Hmm. That's something to consider. And the sailors, afraid, threw Jonah overboard. Silence covered the waters. And then the text says they pledged allegiance to God. That's Jonah in eight minutes. I've been timing myself. Maybe the joke's on us. Or maybe what we think is a joke really is no laughing matter at all. A couple key touch points for us is interesting. Everyone in this story changes their mind. Even Jonah. He didn't want to go. He does go. The sailors, the Ninevites, the cattle, and even God. Everyone changes their mind. My guess is there's a little, well, there's more than likely a little Jonah in all of us. You know, Jonah was resentful, didn't like those people, wanted them gone, judgmental, vindictive. He wanted Assyria and Nineveh in particular to to get what they had coming to him. And yet, God does that thing that God always does. God didn't want judgment, and there was no judgment. There was no destruction. Why? Because Nineveh turned and believed. They just turned in another direction and leaned into the God of Israel. Jonah, the insider here, has a tough go of it all throughout this story. You see, he's operating under a faulty operating system that needs to be rebooted and refreshed because his operating system was about the insiders are in and the outsiders are bad. The insiders are good. The outsiders, we don't like them. Get them out of here. Get rid of them. Give them what they have coming to them, God. Why, God? You're one of us. Jonah had a faulty operating system. 
He believed that insiders are favored and outsiders, well, they're the enemy. He had a narrow and bitter attitude, to be sure. At least he had a chip on his shoulder. I think deep down it was worse than a chip on a shoulder. You see, to Jonah, the Ninevites were enemies. Perhaps this is why Jesus says to love our enemies. Because when we love our enemies, the outsider, the other, they stop being enemies. They become people like you and me. And when we love the enemy and the enemy stops becoming our enemy and becomes a friend, the outsider is no longer an outsider but becomes an insider who's also loved by the God who shows God's self to be. In our story, this God is simple, persistent, responsive, and merciful to those who turn and head into a godly direction and lean on Christ. I'm fascinated in the story that there are so many reversals. Everything is reversed. The reversing of the notion of divine judgment. The story depicts the insurmountable graciousness of God in the face of a prophet with a really bad attitude that's more vindictive than redemptive. You see, the reversals highlight the difference between the human desire and the will of God. These reversals highlight the big difference between human desire and the will of God, between human sin and the deep, profound mercy of God. I really don't think this is an adventure. I really don't think this adventure is a joke. It has elements of a joke and satire, to be sure. But if we're not careful in reading the book of Jonah, the joke could be on us. Because this story is as important today as it was back then. Because we have enemies today. We may not call them that. We may call them those folks. We may label them that movement. We may label them, they don't have the same skin color as I do. They don't make... Like with like, who is our enemy? Who would we honestly, before the face of God, call our enemy? The power of the book of Jonah is, (laughs) Christian friends, we have no right to call anyone enemy. We have no right to call anyone outsider. Our job is to be relational, relevant, and bold in loving all people to life in God. This is not a new message, but it's profoundly needed. Who is our enemy? Those people on the other side of the political aisle. Somebody at work, somebody maybe even in this room or sitting next to you. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's just somebody that speaks a different language or worships a different God or has a different color of skin. Maybe it's a hostile foreign nation. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But then again, the words of Jesus 
foreshadowed in the book of Jonah. Love your enemies. Boy, do our modern suspicions and animosities terrorize us today, but they do mirror the Ninevites, which is basically modern-day Mosul today. My friends, maybe, just maybe, the least we can do is listen to each other. In a way, I'm glad the joke is dead because the joke is no longer a joke. The way we rifle off one-liners that are more like buckshot from a rifle. Let's put an end to those unkind ways and enter into ordinary time in extraordinary ways where we actually stop talking and we listen to the other, the outsider, to the Ninevite. It's time to work for environmental and social justice because even in the story, the cattle changed their mind. The spiritual, the political, the decisions that we make affect the environment, the creatures, the geography, the topography, the climate. Yeah, the least we can do is listen to the other, talk to the outsider, work for environmental and social justice, because reversal is the great humor in this story. My mom always said, it's important to walk a few steps in somebody else's shoes before you pick up a stone and toss it. The possibility in the book of Jonah for our life today is endless. If we don't turn from the Jonah in all of us, and there's some Jonah in all of us, let's just at least be honest. Maybe the joke is actually on us then. And that, my friends, is really no laughing matter at all. May God give us peace and the courage to turn to the God who is simple, persistent, responsive, and when we turn to him, always there with open arms in a way that builds bridges so that there's no longer insider, outsider, friend, foe, us, them. We're just people of God. If we're not able to do it, the joke is on us. And it's really no laughing matter. Amen.